0: well good morning it is good to be with you and it's good for us to be together we do have a number of visitors that are with us today and we are very grateful that you have come and you have granted us the blessing of your presence and we extend you our welcome and uh if you can linger a little bit let us just meet you and we invite you to come back as often as you have the, that opportunity and are in the area with us. Our physical senses are the very means by which we communicate. It's how we discover and experience and actually come to know the world in which we live in. But not just the world, but also the creator and redeemer, God. Now, God is spirit. Spirit. And a spirit is not fleshly like we are physically, but God sees and God hears and God feels and God speaks. And so we are like God in that sense, beings who see, beings who hear, people who feel and who speak. And even though we can do all those things like God, our creator, in whom we are made in his image, even with that, there is a spiritual and moral danger that exists wherein we may have eyes to see, which do not see, and we may have ears to hear, but we do not hear. And it's for that very reason that Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, challenges us, even still today, through the scriptures that we read already in Matthew chapter 13, to use those senses that are God-given to us, to use the God-given senses that we have to truly know God and to truly know his will. And so we have to train our ears You and I had to train our ears to listen. We have to train our ears to accept and to receive. And in turn, we got to train our ears then to do, to act accordingly in a proper way. But today I want to talk about eyes. Our God-created eyes are extremely complex organs, amazing things if you think about it, the very idea of transmitting information to our brains so that we can experience things, so that we can perceive things, so that we can know all kinds of different things in this world, in the life that we have here on Earth. It's one of the amazing aspects, Actually, everything about you as a created being of God indicates and shouts loudly that you are God's handiwork. And the eye is just one of those many things that address the idea that there's no way, there's no way that by chance, uh, over long and long extreme periods of time that this is just gonna happen. That suddenly you have eyes that can take in information and that can be transported to your brain and your brain knows how to use that so that you can know things there is a saying by the by the name um, a man named J O Sanders he says eyes that look are common eyes that see are rare just think about that for just a second eyes that look are common but eyes that see, eyes that see are rare. In the text we read already this morning in Matthew 13, it talked about there in the last verse, verse 17, that there were many prophets and many righteous men of long ago that desired to see. They longed to hear what the disciples of Christ got to see and hear. They were, they were seeking to understand and know and perceive the truth of the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the Messiah that was hidden to them. Oh, they were getting pieces of the puzzle, but they did not know what the puzzle was. They they could not understand all of those pieces and how they perfectly come together. And so Jesus says, yes, I'm speaking in parables for a very specific reason. And and he says, and people of long ago, they wanted to know and they wanted to see and wanted to hear what you're getting to see and hear today. And so he says to them in the 16th verse, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Seeing eyes are really all about understanding hearts. That's what it's really about. Seeing eyes are about hearts and minds that are able to understand and they respond appropriately because you have taken in this information through your eyes. The prophet Elisha, go back to the Old Testament. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's a well-known story to Bible students about a, a king of Syria that got mad at the prophet Elisha and and he wanted to you know capture him so he couldn't stop or prevent him being able to continue to oppress the Israelites. And so he sends his army down to to where Elisha lived, and he's gonna he's there to capture him, and the servant of Elisha gets up one morning in verse 15 of that sixth chapter of 2 Kings and he goes out and when he goes out, he sees this army, this big army, the Syrian army surrounding their little town and he runs back in and lets Elisha know about this. And Elisha responds in the 16 says, don't be afraid, you know, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then in verse 17, that's the verse I want you to kind of think about very briefly here. In verse 17, and then it says, then Elisha prayed. He prayed and said, Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And what he saw was something that was amazingly wonderful and how God was working, how God was protecting his prophet here you've got a story about a prophet of God who prays for his his attendant, for his servant, so that his eyes would be open and see what God was doing. Elisha already saw that, not physically. But he was already seeing what his servant could not see because Elisha had faith in God. And so he says, God, open this man's eyes, so he can see what I know, what I perceive, what I understand about you, that there's more with us than them because, God, you are on our side. We need open eyes, open eyes of faith to see things that only God reveals to us in amazing ways. In Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, you come to another story about an elderly man named Simeon. In verse 25, we are introduced to this man. He said, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And as you continue to glance at those verses and read, you see the Holy Spirit had told him that uh, he, he would you know, not experience death until he's seen the Lord's Messiah, seen God's anointed one, God's chosen one. And so then one day the Spirit moves Simeon to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And when, he's, when he arrives, lo and behold, there is Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. Notice what Simeon's reaction is. He goes up and sees it, and he takes Jesus into his arms and begins to bless God, and this is what, he's, what is recorded for us. In verse 29, he says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to part in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Think about that. He's holding baby Jesus. There he is, that cute little baby boy. And what Simeon says Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon did not just see baby Jesus. You see that? Oh, he saw baby Jesus. There he was in infancy. But that's not what he saw. He saw something so much bigger, so much greater than just this wonderful child in his arms. He saw God's salvation. He saw God's light. He saw the revelation and the glory of God. His eyes were open and he saw. What God had been promising for generation upon generations to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel to bring His anointed in the world, so that salvation could be brought to mankind. In Acts twenty-six, Paul's commission as an apostle, as he kind of retells his calling that. Damascus experience when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and was blinded by the light, he is giving a defense at this time about that occasion which called him to be an apostle and proclaimer of the Christ, the Son of God. And so you notice there in the 26th chapter, beginning in verse 15. As Paul is speaking to here Agrippa and all those with him, he says, and I said, who are you, Lord? Retelling that day of long ago. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, But also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending. I'm I'm rescuing you from the very ones I'm sending you back to. So so I'm rescuing you, and I'm going to send you to you. But notice what he says in verse 18: to open their eyes. The commission of Paul to be an apostle of Christ centers around this concept of opening eyes. Eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We need eyes that are open. We need to open our eyes and maybe at times someone needs a help Open our eyes, because that—that was the work of Paul in proclaiming the gospel. Was to open people's eyes so they turn from darkness to light, from Satan to God. And and we need that today. In summation, we need to open our eyes to see our need, our greatest need in relationship to God. But also, we need to open our eyes to see our greatest problem. What is the problem we all have? It's sin. And we need to see that. We each need to see the problem of our own sins. But more than just that, we need to also have open eyes to see the penalty of our sins. That we are guilty of sin and therefore are deserving of God's wrath. He's righteous and, and impartial. But at the same time, we need to open our eyes to see the gift that comes from God a gift of forgiveness through faith in Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. We need to have eyes to see that, and Paul and the other apostles and prophets in the New Testament carried that mission out in their lifetime, but it took open eyes. They need to have their own eyes open, and they need to help other people's eyes to be open. If we fail to see this, if we can't see this, It's not because God has not revealed himself. It's not God's fault. He has sent his son into this world. You think about it. It was witnessed by thousands as Peter preached in Acts 2. Thousands of people saw Jesus. Thousands of people saw the miracles of Jesus. Thousands of people heard the truth of the message. It was witnessed by thousands. And that is even portrayed very clearly in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 1 through 4, where it talks about the gospel that is summed up by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But notice what Paul writes: He says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also, you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. And I deliver this. What? Well, he says, I deliver that Christ died according to the Scriptures. And Christ was buried according to the Scriptures. And Christ was raised according to the Scriptures. And Christ appeared to others according to the Scriptures. It's witnessed by thousands. It's portrayed in the gospel. And so if we fail to see it, it's not God's fault that we don't see it. We need to open our eyes to see God, to see what often those who don't want God cannot see. Our Galatian brethren of long ago, so Christians back in the first century living in the territory of Galatia, in the third chapter in this beautiful text that Paul pens to them by the Holy Spirit, really are rebuked because they became distracted. Their focus got distracted. Their attention got you know, turned elsewhere. And so he says in the in first one of chapter three, he says, O foolish Galatians. Now these are Christians. These are Christians. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. He says, We have shown you Christ that has been publicly portrayed to you and you saw it. So why are you now turning from him? Who has bewitched you? Who has caused you to be distracted and blinded by the reality of God and the reality of Jesus Christ? The truth is before us. The thing is we need to ask ourselves, do we always see it? Do you always see the truth as we should? Are we opening our eyes to perceive God's revelation. Are we opening our eyes to understand God's revelation? By faith, we see God. By faith, we see Jesus Christ. And by faith, we see that we must obey the Lord's words to be saved. But also we need searching eyes. In Luke chapter 15, in Luke chapter 15, you've got the parable of the woman who lost coins. There's a number of parables that relate to each other in this chapter. Of lost things that need to be found. And as you note there in this parable, you got this woman, she lost these ten silver coins. You know, she has ten, and she no, she just loses one. Excuse me, I said that wrong. She has ten, but she's lost one of those ten. And so, and so she starts searching for it. And of course, in the parable, she finds it, and there's great rejoicing. And the point is, that's how God feels. That's how heaven feels when one sinner repents, turns to God, and is, is saved. There's great rejoicing because that the one that was lost is now found. But notice what kind of search did she make. He says, you know, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does, not, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully? until she finds it. Searching eyes are eyes that work diligently, looking and seeking. Yes, we need to open our eyes, but also we need to have the eyes that are gonna search for it as well. The psalmist in Psalm 119 has written this in the 18th verse, open my eyes, so it's a prayer, it's a petition, In this long psalm, he says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. What a beautiful prayer that is. What a beautiful heart that is to have that kind of heart that asks God, God, open my eyes so I can see the wonders of your word. Is that our approach? is do we have the same kind of heart that the psalmist expresses here toward God's word today, toward the scriptures? Because searching searching eyes are gonna look very intentionally. You don't accidentally search. You intentionally search. But also when you're searching, you, you search deeply and persistently. It's not just a passing glance. Oh, by the way, no, that's not searching eyes. We're told in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that the the Bereans were more noble-minded than the people back in Thessalonica, and we're told why in that verse, and we're told two two reasons. One, he says they received the preaching of the gospel with readiness, so they had a heart that was willing and ready to hear. He says they received it with readiness, and two, he says, they searched the scriptures daily. Two things that made them noble-minded. One, they had a heart to listen, they had a heart to receive what was being told them, and then two, they checked it out. They examined the scriptures daily to do that. We're told in James chapter one, in a lesson about how we need to not just be hearers only, but rather we need to be hearers that are actually doers of what we hear from God's word. In verse 25, it says this, one who looks intently, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That's the kind of heart, that's the kind of eyes we need. We need to open our eyes to God. We need to open our eyes to truth and God's word. But also, we need to have eyes that are going to search, that look intently. It's intentional. It's purposeful. It's, it's deeply and persistently. You know, Jesus taught that attitude back in the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, verse Six, if you recall, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be filled. That's a searching eye, the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He said, God says, and you will find it. If you are truly searching for righteousness, God's righteousness, God will help you find it. You will find it. And he said, and I will fill you with it. Or over in Second Timothy chapter 2, we're, we're told to study to show ourselves approved. You know, rightly dividing, rightly using the scriptures so that we don't need to be uh, an ashamed, but, in a, but rather we be an approved worker of God. So, you know, someone who's going to look to the scriptures and really use them in, in a right way is someone who's looking intently at the law of liberty or even in hebrews chapter 5 where they're in a different rebuke to a different group of saints who had not been as good of a student as they should have been and so the spirit is addressing that concern and, but he makes the point how you should be using the word. You should be the kind of students of God's word so that you're able to discern, you're able to make judgments between right and wrong. In verse 13, he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteous for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That comes from searching eyes, people who look intently at the law of God so that they will be an effectual doer of God's will. There are rich blessings that that await us every time we open the Bible reverently, study it purposefully, and obey it carefully. Every time we open up God's word reverently and we study it carefully and we obey it intentionally, there will be blessings, rich blessings, treasures given to you. But we have to have the heart, the eyes to do that. But our eyes also, in a sense, affect our spiritual health because they are the very lamp to the body Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 22 and 23, Jesus said this to them and to us still today through the living word of the Holy Spirit. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Our eyes, because of the nature of that physical organ that's linked to our mental and emotional and spiritual well-being, our eyes affect our spiritual health because it does serve, in a sense, as the window to the soul we routine you know we, we go to the doctor I guess you know some of us do go to the doctor get our eyes checked routinely right and you know, see you know any changes do we need to change you know change the you know, our lenses so we can see more clearly Well, we need to do that spiritually from to time in a sense each one of us needs in a sense go to our great physician and get our eyes checked and ask ourselves you know if if we are seeing as we should you know what is our spiritual vision what is it because the the eyes is the lamp to you so what is your spiritual vision or what occupies your vision you know what are you what are you taking in what are you filling you know your heart and your mind through your eyes? What's occupying your vision? Or even this, what are you looking at? What are you searching for? You know, those are very simple questions, but they're questions that we need to ask and we need to make application. Because if if our vision is bad, if if we are, in a sense, like the Galatians being bewitched, you know, and, and in a sense being turned away from what has been publicly betrayed to us, through Jesus Christ, then we are in spiritual danger. If the eye is diseased, if our eye is diseased by worldly things, we cannot see the true treasures that lay before us. And the reason why, because earthly concerns sometimes become cataracts to our vision. Just a couple examples here that illustrate that. And in all of us, this can happen to any of us. We can have good vision, and your vision go bad. You know, age does that, doesn't it? You know, some of us, you know, our vision were great, but we, we grew older, and our vision changed. Spiritually, the same thing. We can think, you know, our vision can be good, and then things can change, and our vision not be not so good. And we may need some corrective lenses, in a sense, to bring us back, you know, into focus. For example, in Matthew chapter six. And 31 through 33, it talks about about worry and anxiety and the things about this world. And so he says, do not worry then, saying, what what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? He says, don't worry about that. He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. He says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, if our vision is not what it needs to be, these things, such as food and clothing, those very practical necessary of things in life, can so consume us in our earthly pursuits that what will happen is they'll push God to the side. And it can happen so gradually so that we, don't, we hardly know that we are now consumed by something that's a necessity. And we don't realize it's, it has become a distraction because I'm more concerned about this than my, my spiritual state. Another illustration of that, over in Matthew seven, the idea of hypocrisy and how hypocrisy can blind us. In verses three through five, he says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Things can happen where cataracts, spiritual cataracts can form if we're not keeping our eyes checked so that we see in the way that God wants us to see. It was Paul's, prayer to Christians, to Christians, not just to the world. He, you know, Paul's mission was to go to the world and open people's eyes. But his prayer for his brethren, his prayer for the brethren was that their eyes would be enlightened. Interesting development here. But over in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 17 and 18 as Paul is kind of, it's still part of his kind of introduction, you know, to this uh, great letter, as he's going to give instruction to the church at Ephesus, but notice in, you know, in verse 15, he says, you know, talks about, you know, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in you, he says, you and your love, do not cease giving thanks for you. And so you see, okay, so he's praying to God here, and he's grateful for them. He's grateful for these brethren in Ephesus. He loves them dearly. But he goes on to say in verse 17, then, in that same line of thought, as he's praying for them, he says, See, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, these are Christians. He's saying, I'm praying that you brethren of mine, you believers and followers and adherers of Christ, that your eyes will be enlightened. You know, they've been opened, but now they need enlightened not in a, from a worldly way, but from a spiritual way through God and through Christ and through truth. He says, I want your eyes, the eyes of your heart, to be enlightened. You know, spiritual illumination, you know, not some mystical thing, but spiritual illuminating our hearts and our minds and our soul, you know, through our eyes is available. It's here for the taking It's attainable, but we've got to have the eyes that are open to it and are searching for it. And that's that's what Paul won for Christians, that their eyes would continue to be enlightened, that their heart would come to know and perceive and understand things, that they needed to know and perceive and understand things. They'd come to know Jesus, but it's a journey. They needed to grow in Jesus. They need to grow in their faith and in their trust of God and of Christ Jesus. And for example, in, in the letters to the Ephesians, just very quickly, some of the things he addresses. He starts off here in verse 18 where he says, okay, I'm praying that your eyes, eyes be enlightened. Why? So you can see the hope of your calling. We, we kind of talked about this in our Corinthian study. We need, we need to see the hope of our calling. Hope is not something you see with your physical eyes. Hope is something you see through the eyes of faith. But we need to be able to see it in the distance, however far it is for us. We need to to, he said, I'm praying that your eyes be enlightened so you can see that hope. Because if you can't see that hope, you'll lose your way. You'll lose your way. Keep your eyes in the hope of your calling but that's not all what they needed to see. They also needed to see the fellowship of Christ's body, the relationship of being brought into Christ and made a member of that amazing spiritual body, the church, and so you see, he talks about that relationship. For example, in chapter two, in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. See that relationship. I'm praying that you'd be enlightened so you can see your hope. You can see the fellowship you have in, in the body of Christ, in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus, but also so you can see the new you, that new you that is recreated or renewed through righteousness and holiness of truth. Chapter four, verse 24. Put on the new self in the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness. of. It. You need to see that. I need to see that. We all need to see through through the spiritual enlightenment of truth who we are and who we can become. But also we need to see the victory, the victory over the devil. In chapter six, we're told to put on God's armor. They were told to be strong in the Lord, strong in the strength of his mind, and put on this armor. Why? So you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Paul said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying so you can see these things. You can see the blessings and the treasure you have in Christ. I'm praying that you will be enlightened with understanding and perception and knowledge of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be disciple, what it means to be brethren of one another, what it means to fight the good fight and to finish the race. We need those kind of eyes. Eyes that are open, eyes that are searching, eyes that are enlightened by truth. And if we have those kind of eyes, we will be able to experience and see the innumerable riches and treasures that come to us through Christ that surpass anything and everything that this world offers us. Do you have those eyes? Do you have the eyes to see Jesus? to see the truth. You need to open them. Open them to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you need to search the truth to see what Jesus says you must do to be saved. You need to allow that truth, that gospel, to enlighten your heart to the point that it will change your life where you're willing to submit fully and totally complete to Christ, to be in that journey by confessing faith in him, repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ, and then to walk that new life by faith to the end. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we can encourage you, help you in any way spiritually. Please come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing the psalm as this been